Hello and welcome to an implanted memory of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be starting our political theater trilogy with 2004's The Manchurian Candidate. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Mystery Machine, Implants, Final Frame, Conspiracy Theory, and Waking Dream. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Brett! Brett! I'm right, I'm right here. Cha, cha, cha. If you, if you broke the door, I swear to God. Hey, did you see the newspaper this morning? Who reads the newspaper? Uh, the, the local news website. Oh, no, what's up? Mother, the local mayoral candidate trashes at his press conference. Look at this shit. The Hollywood Chop Shop has displayed numerous acts of debauchery causing millions in damage to the taxpayers of this city. Uh, well, I mean... We have had some issues lately. Ah, I won't stand for it. I will not stand for this assassination of our character. This is slander. Let's see. You've destroyed a billboard, allowed an 11-year-old to drive and destroy a customer's Miata. Uh, we can't forget the animal cruelty charge. Burning down the shop. Need I go on? Uh, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Anakin went down for the arson bit. Uh, you know, look. Have we made mistakes? We? Okay. I, I've made some mistakes, but it's almost 2023, and, and you know what? I'm ready for this shop to really soar. And, and you know what? We cannot do that with a sleazy politician trashing us in the media. So what exactly are you suggesting? Whoa, what are you doing with the bat? Uh, I'm going to commit a few debaucherous acts down at his campaign headquarters. Oh, because that's really going to help our reputation. Look, you can't just commit acts of violence because you disagree with someone. Let's just think about this for a second. No, 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 no. We're going to do this my way. I'm going to grab some barbed wire for this bat. Tony? No one calls me Tony anymore. Tony Hector? Uh, what's going on? Tony Hector Guzman? Yes? Listen, everything is under control. Let's just chill out and discuss 2004's The Manchurian Candidate. A plot to steal the presidency of the United States is threatened after a group of soldiers ambushed in the Gulf War starts to remember their attack differently. As the commanding officer digs deeper into the events of that night, one thing becomes abundantly clear. Their minds have been tampered with and re-engineered with new memories. Who or what would have the power to do such a thing? And what motivations could lead to brainwashing a group of soldiers into thinking they survived a battle that never happened? Alrighty, Travis, we'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I gotta know, what was your quick diagnostic of 2004's The Manchurian Candidate? Uh, I believe this movie, as we've referenced on other podcasts, came out in, in the sweet spot. Um, the time that we were working at the theater, uh, you know, we could see movies for free, but that allowed us to see many more movies that maybe we wouldn't have normally sought out. And I, I put this one firmly in that camp. Um, I remember the, my first impression of this movie before I even watched it was I loved the movie poster. It was just a, a solid white poster with like a uh, 
like a campaign button on it with kind of blood dripping off of it. Um, so I was interested just off of the poster. Uh, obviously, it is a remake of an early 60s movies, or early 60s movie, which is iconic. Uh, Angela Lansbury, who recently passed, played the Meryl Streep character, and apparently she crushed it. I, I haven't watched that movie because as we've covered on other mo- uh, other reviews, <laughs> I hate old movies. Um, yeah. So I remember seeing this at the time and being kind of blown away. Um, I guess a lot of a lot of people would say, well, hey, you're only blown away because they're redoing a movie that was a classic in the 60s. Um, but even upon this rewatch, I really enjoyed it. Um, again, not to beat a dead horse for what we always say on these reviews. I thought it was a little long. I thought you could have trimmed. I always one of my complaints. <laughs> As soon as I saw two and a half hours, I uh, I kind of bristled up it, added a little bit. I think if you trimmed 15 or 20 minutes off of this movie, I think it would improve it greatly. But I, I still really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot to talk about. I think it's very not only timely, but in 2004, I think it was ahead of its time with some of the subjects that it covers. And, and I think we'll get into that. But um, I was still very impressed with this movie. Uh, what did you think upon uh, this rewatch? So I enjoyed it. Uh, funny you say, not a rewatch for me. This is my first time I watched it. You did not. <laughs> this is watch the second it time I've done you, this to you. You didn't no, watch I didn't it. Watch it I, I didn't watch it back in the theater. I. So here's the funny thing, Travis. Had the Denzel Washington version of the poster, <clears throat> the one that's like half of it's white and then it's like kind of his face a little out of. I had. I got that poster from the poster room because we had extras or something like that. Never watched the movie, so this was my first time watching it. To your point, I still think very relevant. A little long, um, but this is what I'll say just as a, as a broad thing of, of why I, I think I really gravitate to sci-fi as a, as a, a genre. Because um, I would consider this sci-fi when it starts getting to the whole brainwashing implant type stuff. Um, what I think about, and even I think the 60s version when you talk about the brainwashing and kind of like mind control type stuff, what I love about sci-fi, not all sci-fi, but sci-fi like this is sci-fi tends to be a kind of reflection of what I feel society's concerns or paranoia is at the time. So it's funny, in the 60s, the concern was communism, right? Communists and stuff like that. Whereas in 2004, the concern is mega corporations owning the politics i just i always think it's an interesting thing that when they start going into that you you kind of get a brief reflection as to what that you know time period looked like what they were paranoid about what was going through their head and even at that point like you know i i think uh several years ago there was you know all of the uh multi-dimensional type multiverse type stuff where it's everybody's paranoia was what if i made a fomo what if i made the wrong decision in life so all of the sci-fi movies were based around what are the different branches of my life or branches of reality could have taken off? Because what if I made the wrong decision type stuff? And it's just, it's interesting to me to, to look at sci-fi because I do. I always feel like it's kind of a, a mirror as to what the the people are going through at that time. Um, with that said, I did enjoy this. I thought it was a little long. Um, There's a couple things that, and we'll, we'll probably get right into five points here. Um, I'll just start with implants. 
to me, that was just convenient plot devices that came up in the movie that I just thought were like, oh, this is convenient to have this here. And my the biggest thing is the whole conversation with Delp when when Ben goes to New York to meet Delp and all of that. I'm like, this came out of nowhere. And it's like they do the throwaway like, like oh, remember when I saved you from what was Albania. it? Albania, Albania, Albania. And then they kind of have a laugh like, oh, it wasn't really Albania, was it? It was like Albania. Oh, ha ha ha. And it's just like, OK, like. Yeah, obviously we're trying to say that there's some history here, but I'm like, but what Ben seems like he's like the stand-up soldier and he smuggled this guy out and has some kind of like weird mad scientist accomplice that he can go to and talk about stuff. I'm like, there's just certain things where I'm like, for the movie, the way that it was structured, I'm like, there was no better way to to have that happen. It's just it was so weird to me because like I said, that happens and then like after that scene, he wakes up in the park, which I think is weird, with the girl who he just thinks he met as a cashier that somehow becomes comes his confidant in New York. And then beyond that, he goes back and the whole place has been cleaned out. And I'm like well, so like like at a certain point I'm going back to you know the uh fuck was it total recall I'm like is this a dream did he actually go there type thing and I'm like I don't think that's what they're going for but it starts to feel that way because of this oddly convenient plot points that we're getting to and, and Brett I literally had you delete um the the friendship five point that I sent you and it was it was exclusively related to Delp because what I don't understand is Bennett Marco in this movie, Denzel Washington's character, like he is not a man of means. He's somebody who was formed. I guess he's technically still in the military. That that part I also didn't understand why he's still under military command, even though it seems like he's been removed from the military for years. But the fact that he lives in a very modest apartment and, you know, when we first see his apartment, he's eating he's eating ramen, which I liked the ramen the ramen tie-in because even Shaw is eating mm -hmm. ramen because what we see later in the movie. But it's clear that Ben and Marco is not a man of means. And yet he just happens to have this scientist friend who is able to conduct these experiments on primates. What I, what I really appreciate about this movie and I wish they would have done more of is at a certain point, I question whether Denzel Washington's character is, is this all in his head? Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the 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 thought exercise of that. You know, when he's on the train and he sees the doctor and he's off his meds, I thought this was a great representation of, you know, people coming back from the military and having PTSD. I thought for a while the movie you could you could play it, you know, six six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, whether this was actually all in Marco's head. I did, but they also go out of their way, I feel like Yes. Yes and no. I and I'm trying to think of how I want to respond to that. Um it might play a little bit into into Mystery Machine and even Final Frame honestly cuz that was a large portion of, of what I thought was the movie and I don't know cuz this is based off of a book if the book does like plays with that whole idea of like is he sane or isn't he you know is he crazy or is he not crazy? But I thought they were going to do way more with that and I felt like every time they started to play with that concept of is this actually happening? They would do something quickly to reveal like, oh, no, no, this is real. This is real. It's, it's He's not really crazy. Like, it's just, you know, he's he's dealing with the side effects of having an implant in his head and being brainwashed. But it, all of this is real. The The biggest issue with that I have is like, you know, is it isn't he's is he has the dream and it's him. And was it Al Melvin talk about 
the dream feels more vivid than and real than what happened to them. And in the dream, Ben watches Shaw kill Baker with the bag, suffocates him with the bag. And then later, his memory is actually the four of them were just in a room. He shoots a guy and then Shaw just strangles Baker with his hands. And I'm like, so is the dream the whole I thought the whole thing with the dream was going to wind up being like the dream was actually reality and that they were actually remembering what actually happened. But the dream wound up also not being actually real either. So then it goes back into that what's real, what's not real type thing. But then at the end of the movie, again, it winds up being like, oh, no, this is really what happened. The Manchurian Candidate, right? You know? Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I don't push back on that at all because it, it's been confirmed, like, through studies that human memory is incredibly fallible. Like, that's why right. like, witnesses and crimes, you, you need more than just witness testimony because people will, you know, make someone, you know, six inches tall or six inches shorter it's not reliable at all. So I can see the, uh, a man was strangled. Was a plastic bag involved? No, but again, that's the fallibility of, of human memory. And I would be okay with that. If that was the, the kind of the points that they were trying to play with this movie was, you know, is his memory real or it isn't. And I, I guess that was my only concern with that. Is it just at a certain point, I really thought they were going to play more with that as opposed to him just having to come to terms with the fact that, you know, the way he remembers the night is didn't actually happen. And all this is probably more it's in mystery machine. But since we're in there and my notes that I had for it, I thought it was very strange that this movie is called a mystery. And they pretty much tell you the answer at the beginning of the movie, like almost like there's no real. And I guess that's the other thing why I'm saying like. The way they structured the movie, why I don't think it's a, is he crazy, is he not crazy? Because they make a point to let the audience know almost from the beginning that this actually happened. Like, even to the point where somebody hits him with the be- the butt of his gun, knocks him out, and then he wakes up later. It's like, as the audience, I already know that that, that that happened, and they continued to push that. So, it's one of those things I just, I thought it was so weird that they decided to reveal the mystery at the beginning, as opposed to, at the end, kind of wrapping it up or leaving it open-ended. Oh, my God, you know, did he actually kill an innocent, you know, innocent people? Or were they really part of the Manchurian, you know, conspiracy? I mean, he definitely killed innocent people. I mean, no, that's one, one of the things I appreciate about the movie is because, you know, Bennett Marco is our protagonist, but through brainwashing and and duress he yes he absolutely did kill members of his unit i think and that's that's i think i kind of get what you're you're saying here bennett marco the 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 conflict that he has internally is he was supposed to be the leader of that squadron and yet he killed someone in that squadron i don't think that was that was played well enough I, well, because it doesn't really come up until the very end and there really isn't a whole lot of him trying to grip that to me at a certain it's in this the biggest scene is when he's on the bed with rosie and he's like pointing the gun at himself and then like points at her head and he's like that in there they're in my head type thing i'm like okay this is him wrestling with the fact that he didn't have control over his actions and he knows what he did um to me the the best scene in the movie wrestling with that was shaw in the school yeah he started and he like 
he realizes because I honestly because again this is the first time I watched the movie I thought he was gonna snap out of it when he killed his love interest I was like oh this is gonna be the moment where he realizes what he's doing and it breaks whatever hold the Manchurian you know system has on him but he doesn't and then when he comes back later and he's just like he starts to just kind of cry like I did I do it and Ben's like yeah I, I think you did like that was pro- probably one of the most powerful scenes in the movie to me uh, in terms of emotion. Um, there's fantastic performances all through the movie, but just that movie, that scene sticks out to me where it's just like he realizes he's never been in control of his life and now he's even less in control and just, you know, having to come to grips with the things that he's done with his hands regardless if he wanted to do it or not. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that scene up because I, I definitely was going to. I think that's the best scene of the movie. I think this is the movie that introduced me to Liev Schreiber as an actor. And interestingly enough, he does a lot of voiceover work on HBO uh, for various documentaries, uh, specifically sports documentaries. He has a lot of gravitas in his voice. So all of his line deliveries, I could just hear you know, that that voiceover work that he's done previously. But yeah, you nailed it. Uh, that scene is brilliant. I love the way Jonathan Demby, uh, the director of this movie, who also did Silence of the Lambs. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. But just mm-hmm. the tight close-ups of both him and Denzel's face, that's something that only works if you're getting powerful performances from both sides. And in that mm-hmm. scene specifically, it's incredibly powerful. I even love the fact that, you know, Shaw, uh, Leah Schreiber's character, it, it's kind of established throughout the movie that he's he's been under his mother's thumb his whole life. He's never had an actual relationship outside of her. And he even he even asked Marco, like, we were friends. I, I like to think we were friends. And if you notice, Denzel Washington, Marco, he does not say that we were friends. He says no. we have a connection. We were in the war together. We were in this doomed patrol. But he doesn't say that we were friends. But yet... He's still trying to help him there. I thought that was a very important distinction. He does not say that we were friends, but at this moment, we're on the same side and we need to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just, uh, that scene sticks out to me. The other big scene is the the first scene where Sh- Meryl Streep, as I forget the mother's name. Uh, Eleanor. When she's, Eleanor, when she's giving the speech to the, I mean, we have to assume they're probably supposed to be the Republicans. Like, the movie does a decent job of not, like, explicitly saying which party's which, but knowing, I, I, you know, warmongering and all that typically goes with that side. So, but, and, you know, the the whole terrorists and, and fear and all that. But when she's giving the speech as to why her son should be vice president, I'm like, that's a fucking damn good performance. Like, I love that whole thing. I'm like, I was invigorated listening to her. I'm like, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> she did a great job there. And what's incredible to me, just to be a little meta, it feels like any time Meryl Streep is in a, a major motion picture, she gets an Oscar nomination. She did mm-hmm. not get one for this movie, even though I think she absolutely crushes it. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, so I think that's most of what I had for Mystery Machines. I I still I hung up a little bit that they would, we would even call this movie a mystery. You know, a political thriller, absolutely, I would put it in, that, in those categories, but... I just think the way that the movie structured narratively, it does not lend itself to what I would call a mystery. Like for the most part, the audience knows what happened from like, we get more of the details, but for the most part, the audience knows what happened from the beginning. And I honestly didn't think the Rosie reveal was interesting to me that she was with the feds 
and not, not part of Manchurian. That was the because to me, I'm like, oh, she's clearly on the inside of something. And I really thought Denzel was going to figure it out when she was like, he's like, where's your cousin at? Oh, she's on Broadway. And he looks up at the posters. And I like, I thought it was going to be like he realized like, oh, it's the wrong type of performance or something like that where we go into how, you know, maybe he's more intuitive than we think he is. But no, that was just like, oh, OK. Matter of fact, I just uh, if that's where she is, that's where she is. Yeah, there's that even thing. kind of a close up when they arrive at that apartment where the name on the apartment, I was like, oh, that's not going to match what her last name is. But that never mm -hmm. comes back. But what I will say, and I know historically a lot of people complained like, hey, why would you remake a classic? Um, because this was made, like I said, in the early 60s with Angela Lansbury and the, the Meryl Streep character. It had Frank Sinatra in the Denzel Washington role. But mm. the Rosie character in that old one was just a woman that fell in love with Marco, which the way he's behaving in this movie, th those are a thousand red flags. So like if you're yeah. watching this movie for the first time, you're like, why would this woman continue to be interested in a man who she just caught in her bathroom cutting open his shoulder? Because while the audience sees that he found an implant, he drops it down the sink. So it was very easy to put yourself in the shoes of Rosie opening that door and seeing a man who's just cut open his back and acting erratically. Um, but whereas in the original in the 60s, it was just, hey, I'm attracted to psychos, which oddly enough, it was Janet Lee who played the Rosie role. Um, <laughs> so but in this movie, I'll they say, do a good job of, of, hey, she's only interested because she's on the case. And in terms of remakes, I think this was a valid remake. You you updated it for this generation. It's not just, a, it wasn't a cash grab. And that's when I hate when a remake is for a cash grab. I will say that that scene irritated me. Because when he drops the transmitter down the sink, I'm just like, it just would have been in the P-trap. It can't close what? I'm like, it's just there's a P-trap because the P-trap is what stops everything from smelling like sewage. It, was just, it would have just been in the P-trap. He just needed to undo the bottom of the sink and would have would have pulled that out. Like, easy peasy. <laughs> but that's me overanalyzing the movie. I'm like, ah, why didn't he just, I don't understand why he didn't just, he could have, it, it's not gone. It's just, it's in the bottom of the P-trap. <laughs> So for those who are unaware, the P-trap is if you look under a sink, when it goes down and makes a little, like almost a U-turn bend and comes back into the wall, it looks like the letter P. So it's a it's a P-trap, and that fills with water, so it stops the smell of sewage from coming up through the sink. It's one of its its purposes, but... Yeah, when you said P trap, I was like, I don't piss in my sink, Brett. I, I don't, I don't understand why we need a P trap down there. But yes, I'm glad you explained that to me because uh, I could tell that by my face you were like, okay, I guess I need to explain that. So thank you. <laughs> Some basic plumbing there, you know. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, that was one of those things. I just kind of like rolled my eyes, like, okay, like he he would have been able to get that. Like if it was down the fucking bathtub or the shower, yeah, it's fucking gone. Like I get that, but it's the fucking sink. <laughs> but um did you want to go into conspiracy theory or waking dream before I have a feeling final frame and waking dream are going to be pretty similar, but we'll see. Um well, I'll say waking dream. I Again, I, I enjoyed the fact that, yes, deep down, even the first time I saw this movie, Denzel Washington is fucking Denzel Washington. I know he's not going to be ultimately just crazy and this is all in his head. Um, but I, I just loved the the paranoid feeling that this movie gave me. Like, you know, when he goes to Al Melvin's apartment and there's a guy in the background in the hallway that kind of mm -hmm. you think is watching him, you're not quite sure. He kind of lingers in the background for a moment. 
Um, the scene you were talking about, uh, you know, our favorite scene uh, at the elementary school. I don't know if you noticed, but after the meeting with Shaw, the British contractor, Tokar, yeah. kind of just, is just <laughs> randomly walking down the hallway. And it's one of those things where if you're not paying super close attention, you just think it's an extra walking by. But I was like, that's fucking Tokar. And then you got stuff like, you know, when he's in the train and he's trying to snap out of it. And that South African doctor is in the in the train car with him in the bathroom because we've already seen Shaw be visited by that man. And you also understand that Marco is off of his meds. So, again, because it's Denzel Washington, I didn't ever truly believe that they were going to take this step. But they they give you the breadcrumbs if you really want to pursue that, that maybe this is all just in his head. And I, I just love that kind of surreal feeling. It wasn't. We've, we've discussed David Lynch on this podcast before. I think David Lynch takes it way too far. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this movie had the right element of paranoia. Is this really happening or is this in someone's head? And that's where, like, as the audience, when I saw Tokar in the in the elementary school, I was like, oh, shit, are they doing the, am I Am I the audience crazy? Is that really him? And it's like, oh, no, it is, because then they wind up bringing up later where he winds up testifying and all that. I'm like, oh, I guess. I'm like, I don't know why the fuck he was there, but I guess that was him. Because I went back to the same thing. I'm like, are we going to find out, like, he like he died? He actually did die in the Gulf War or something like that? He And it's like, oh, shit, like, as the audience, am I? Like, because then it goes back to the, you know, Fight Club, anybody who's seen that. Like, they put shots are stills of tyler durden throughout that movie and it's like one of those things i'm like fuck am i am i going crazy is that really him like i thought they were gonna start doing that like almost to the point where like i want to go back and rewatch is toka but then again they resolved it at the end so i'm like i don't need to go back and watch and see if as the audience i'm crazy yeah absolutely and and in terms of conspiracy theory uh again i kind of touched on it i i can't believe how in tune this movie was because it was released in 2004 it was shot in 2002 and manchurian global you know again i we try to stay away from politics in this movie but are you familiar with halliburton Mm -hmm. dick cheney yeah i i can't believe this movie i mean they were talking about this stuff as it was in real time going on Like, I I don't feel like the Halliburton stuff really became news until several years later. So I was impressed at how forward thinking this movie was and its script was, Uh, which is why I think this is I guess I'm tipping my hand here. I think this is an underrated classic. I think it gets dismissed because it's a remake of a more iconic movie. But just how in tune it was with, sadly, what the political environment in the United States is. And I'll even go a step further uh, if you think about John Voight, which, Jesus Christ, the, the movie calls it out. Why the fuck would you send the vice presidential candidate to go kill another yeah, member? Yeah, oh, I have that in my I've got questions section. <laughs> like, so I'll, even- I'll save that. <laughs> but ha- have you heard the news about Nancy Pelosi's husband? Yeah, fucking nuts. Yeah, so again, this movie feels oddly uh, ahead of its time in, in predicting what is to come. Um, so yeah, we you know we can get into the assassination of John Voight, and I have questions, or if you want to do it now, it's up to you, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of uh, bounce the ping pong ball back to you. Well, we'll hold off for there. I think in your, your comment about this being a, a classic, I think 
the what stops it for me is it still has a pacing issue. Like we start the movie with a lot of action and then the movie doesn't really pick up any more action. The rest of it just kind of becomes a suspense thriller. And I think, I think it needed to be shortened a little bit. And I think we needed a few more like, like legitimate like action scenes for this to, to hold audiences and to become a classic. I think it's a good movie and it's worth watching, but I think that's what stops it from being widely kind of accepted and, and rewatches it, it it is a bit of a slog especially at over two hours like i said even i think the beginning was too long with them playing cards like at a certain point i'm like when the fuck is the movie gonna start like what's gonna happen here like i thought the the opening credits with them playing cards lasted way too long and that's just an example of where i think some of the pacing of this movie wound up being an issue and probably what what wound up hurting it in the long run yeah, I, on one hand, I can see why you want the intro to be so long because this is the only time you're going to, you know, spend time with, as this movie calls, the lost unit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're going to spend that amount of time, you need to do a better job of setting up the relationship between Liev Schreiber and Denzel Washington because they literally, I, I liked, I liked how Denzel is only quote unquote Denzel, the cocky, confident Denzel. He's only that in the very opening scene. So I like that we got mm. that moment to show what he was like before all this fuckery happened to him. But at the same time, you need to set up Marco and Shaw a little bit better if you're going to spend 10 minutes on that opening scene. And then I think also, like you were touching on, this is not a mystery. Like we have a pretty firm grasp on what's going on very early on. So you don't need the amount of spoon feeding and uh, expository dialogue because I noticed several scenes where it's just, we're just downloading the plot to you, even though you already know what the plot is. Mm -hmm. So that's where I say you could trim 15 to 20 minutes out of this movie. So I would, I'm almost going to go the opposite route of you with the opening. I think you keep Denzel and Shaw's relationship the way it is because it makes it more impactful. Like we're saying our favorite scene when Denzel's like, we weren't friends. Because at that point, we've established at the beginning of the movie, they didn't seem like they were super. What I needed is the actual guys playing cards, like to find out more about their lives and their story. So I cared about them because at the end, I cared that Baker died because it was Anthony Mackie. In 2004, I wouldn't have known that was Anthony Mackie, but now I'm like, oh my god, it's fucking, I fucking love Anthony Mackie. <laughs> so, uh, him and um, fuck, who is Al? Um, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright again, another actor I love. And when I saw him in the movie, I'm like, shit, I want, I want more of them. Even though I know this is earlier in their careers, these are not major roles that they're they're going to be getting here. So I think that's more if you're going to have that opening opening scene be that long i need it to be way more about that crew and they can keep playing cards because i'm trying to think i feel like black hawk down did it better when when they're all kind of like shooting the shit and playing cards and doing the dance like dancing in the or am i thinking i'm honest i honestly be thinking of three kings but i just feel like those movies did a, a better job of like establishing some of that quick camaraderie to where i killed or killed woo, cared about the the killed platoon you know yeah, I mean, you could point to a number of movies. I think Three Kings, certainly Black Hawk Down. I would even go so far as something like Suicide Squad. Like, give us 15 minutes where we think this is going to be the cast of the movie. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, they run into this ambush that we later find out is is very orchestrated by, you know, Manchurian Global. Uh, but yeah, the runtime, 
cut and dry could have been used more effectively or it should have just been cut out. Uh, so I'll go final frame because I think you wanted to save Waking Dream. So the final scene of this movie I have issues with <laughs> and I have no proof. I looked, I could not see anything. This is my issue. Is well, it, what's that? Let me ask you, are you going to point out the fact that this was clearly a reshoot after the movie was already done? <laughs> Yes, I was going to say, this looks like the ending didn't test well with audiences and they tacked this on at the end because it is com shot completely differently. The lighting is way fucking off. Like, the lighting is awful. Feels, it's awful. It's so bad. I'm like, why? I'm like, this stuff feels so weird. I'm like, yeah, all I could think of was like, this feels like the movie was going to end with Rosie killing Ben before he can kill himself and audiences didn't like it. So instead it was, she shot him in the shoulder. He survived and he got his happy ending and the, you know, all the people got their, got their happy ending. Cause I'm like, I really thought the movie, I legitimately thought the movie was going to end with, he gets killed. They do the cover up because they don't want it looking like a military person did the assassination. And then it just fades into the wind. And that's basically like, Ben winds up becoming a ghost and like no one ever talks about him again, but it's like, oh no, we decided to resolve all of his, his story and he gets a happy ending. And I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? This doesn't feel totally right for this movie at all. And it's shot really weird. And I mean, you didn't even mention that Denzel Washington has a shaved head for reasons. I mean, the real reason yeah. is he was on to his next movie and had to come back to reshoot <laughs> this, but yeah, no, I 100% agree. And here's my thing. You try to make this a happy ending. It's still not a happy ending. H how can no. this be a happy ending for Ben Marco? Yeah. Like, <laughs> he killed he killed Raymond Shaw. And yes, he, he prevented, you know, a, a global conspiracy with a corporation. But he as a person is still damaged beyond any sort of recovery. I, I don't see how you could ever just... <laughs> go live a normal life has been Marco because again, even his relationship with Rosie was all Rosie was just doing her job. So it's not like they're going to ride off into the sunset together. Rosie's going to be like, well, Hey, glad we worked this out. You know, I'm going to get also, some kudos from the to, FBI. I have to imagine he still has the, 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 the phrase that makes him go into like, yeah, he was able to kind of break. And that was the other thing I kind of thought was weird about this movie is that they made it that suspenseful. Like, will he, won't he, will he, won't he? I'm like, I thought the whole point of what Delp did was rewire, like refried his brain. So I was like, oh, they should like, I was like, I honestly expected her to do that call and him to be like, go fuck yourself and like hang up. That's what I was expecting because, oh, he, he had the electroshock. That's going to rewire. I'm like, nope, that's, that's not what they decided to do here. Like they decided that he was still under the control despite his efforts, but he was able to kind of break loose long enough to not kill the president. Yeah. That's kind of my biggest complaint of the movie is that again, we love that scene in the school. It was powerful, but it cuts away. It intentionally cuts away after his phone conversation where Eleanor kind of activates him again. And it's, it, I guess by the end of the movie, it's kind of clear that something else transpired between those two men that we didn't see where Shaw is able to break free and decide, no, I'm going to miss my mark and I'm going to look up knowingly, which 
that's the other thing. If this is really an assassination plot, the the fact that Shaw is just constantly looking up, <laughs> looking up where the shot is going to come from, I'm like, that's going to be analyzed on video later. It's going to be pretty clear that Shaw knew he was up there. But um, yeah, I, I have to assume that Marco was still, something happened where he was able to break his programming because of how this movie ultimately ends. But we, we don't get to see that on screen. I thought that was like a weird, weird cut there. Well, and it winds up going back to the whole Delp thing. I feel all of the Delp stuff could have been completely cut out of this movie. And Rosie could have given all, all the information about like, oh, there were secret, you know, when, when he could give the, the transponder, you know, she could get the, after he finds out that she works for the Freds, feds, he could wind up giving her the thing he bit out of the back of Shaw. And then beyond that, it is she could explain, oh, yeah, we are, we're actually aware of like there were side projects going on with mind. Control. I was like, I just feel like there was better ways to relay that other than Delp just felt I can't harp on it enough. He felt so out of place in this. Like it just didn't fit. It just felt again. It was a convenient thing to get the plot to move. It felt like a shitty TV show. It felt like, mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever watched the show Bones um, on Fox, but it, or CSI, it felt like that, hey, we're going to download the plot to you in the lab. And because this guy's wearing a lab coat and there's a bunch of, you know, experiments going on, going on around him, that he's going to be the authority. But again, it feels completely out of place. And that, the, the fact that they dropped that line about Albania, it's because at that point, the audience can't help but question, who the fuck is this guy? So they try to pay lip service to it, like, hey, yeah, Marco smuggled him out in a previous military well, endeavor. I also love the moral ambiguity of Ben at that point, because Delp is explaining, like, oh, yeah, I made up a lot of these these programs for a Manchurian Global. A lot of, I did a lot of really bad things for them, and it's just like, we're bros because of Albania. <laughs> it's just like it just goes completely like Ben's like, oh, I think I'm un uncovering a giant conspiracy. Oh, you might have actually worked on some of this stuff, but we're still bros. <laughs> like it's just so weird to me. Yeah, it was almost James Bond Q level of ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. you're just here to be the technology arm of this plot. And it's just, like you said, it's completely useless in this movie. And and hey, if we're looking for 10 to 15 minutes to cut out, that's the 10 to 15 minutes. That or make it that he winds up finding, what was the guy's, Tokar? Toki, Tok, what's his name? Tokar, the, the British Tokar. Uh, consultant. Yeah. He winds up finding the British consultant and then questions him like, you're supposed to be like, what the fuck happened? And like, oh, now there's actually a connection to something that happened earlier in the movie. And you could have the consultant kind of spill the beans on all of that stuff as opposed to, again, this random Delp guy who comes and goes in the night. <laughs> Just Which disappears. I, I found out through research that the Tokar character apparently is like a British musician because apparently Jonathan Demi likes casting kind of celebrities in small roles. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I believe that's the only reason that we have all these additional characters, because at the end of the day, we have Tokar, the British consultant. We have the South African scientist, and then we have the German scientist from Albania. That's one <laughs> too many scientists. Yeah, a lot of scientists going around here. Yeah. So uh, I did also think it was funny how easy it was for Ben to find out that, like, 
the 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 South Africans. There's a disgraced person working on bio stuff to change people's memories and minds. I'm like, I like that Manchurian Global wouldn't have scrubbed any of that from the internet. <laughs> it's just like, no, we can totally have the scientist that you know basically talks about everything we're doing to manipulate people and take over. Just have him have a couple fun videos online in 2004. I this is before you YouTube. I love that you brought that up for two reasons, Brett, because number one, we get the stereotypical microfiche in the library scene where everything is <laughs> yeah. found out because he's listening to audio and looking through this microfiche. Um, and I forgot my second point. So continue. I assume it's not, again about it, just a, you know, a dump of, of what's going on, you know? Yeah, just how convenient dump. that all was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can find me at this address with my phone number listed. Oh, and here's my fears and my social security number in case you're looking for revenge. <laughs> Have I mentioned this is my best friend Shaw? <laughs> She's like, it's so, it's so weird. Um, but I think that brings us to our final five point waking dream. Yeah, which I've already kind of covered. The waking dream just... Even though you know with almost 100% certainty where this movie is going, it still does a good job of putting you in the shoes of somebody who might be mentally ill or mentally broken. Just just a Marco character, like when he gets bumped into and, you know, he starts screaming at people, watch where you're going. <laughs> just from the outside world, if you don't, if you're not aware of this movie, they do a great job of portraying what quote unquote crazy looks like. Through 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 Bennett Marco's eyes. I was going to say, I actually really enjoyed Al Maven, his apartment. I know this is a really weird detail. I liked that the drawings of people did not look like an artist drew them. It looked like somebody with no artistic background was just drawing like what you would expect somebody with middle school level talent of just drawing because that's that's where he's at. You know, I for some reason, because I feel like a lot of times they would wind up being like, oh, super detailed drawings. I'm like, this guy, who the fuck is this guy? Like, oh, it's an art school dropout that so happened to join the military. It's like, oh, no, these drawings look super crude. And like, it is just somebody trying to scribble down random thoughts to get them out of their head. Yeah, super crude, but also you could tell it was from their mind's eye. So, yeah, 100% agree with you. You go. No, go ahead. I almost want to see this movie shot more like Southern. Like how much more atmospheric it would have been if that was kind of the direction. It, did you have a problem with the direction? Because no, 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 no. I, I like the direction. No, no, no. I'm just saying I would love to see it, an additional take of this movie to see what it how it changes the movie. No, no, no. I like the direction. I had no problem with the direction of the movie. I just I especially when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, this would have been interesting if it had been shot kind of like how seven was shot. And, and real quick, I'm uh, I'm glad you, you, you kept this segment going a little bit. But Waking Dream, I love the scene where Shaw first gets the code words over the phone and the 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 light brightens and kind of he gets that mm -hmm. smile on his face and then he walks into the bedroom as he's instructed to and on the wall is a painting of the room that he is in mm -hmm. so it's like it's one of those things where within the painting you can see the room and then within the painting you can see the the room with another painting on the wall i the the surreal nature of it again 
it doesn't go too far like I think David Lynch does, but like moments like that, again, it, it, it helps with that surreal quality. And then you see that the drywall is cut out. Now, maybe we can we can segue into I have questions. <laughs> yeah. This is in a hotel room. That feels awfully expensive to just do for that one or two nights where the vice presidential candidate is staying there. Like, what are you doing afterwards? But I loved it as a visual. I More so than that, Travis, how did they get all of the medical equipment and an entire medical facility built into the room next door? Like, it'd be one thing if it was like, oh, no, Manchurian owns this building. And it's like, oh, yeah, they own it. And then they just bought the room next door and set that up. But it's like, they have to take all this down. And how did they bring it all up? Like, this is insane. <laughs> um, one last thing I'll say, and then we'll jump into I Got Questions. As you were talking about, you know, the picture within the picture, uh, they also do a lot of, like, reflections. Like, you know, who's actually staring back. A lot of usage of mirrors and, like, reflecting characters in, you know, we're seeing them over here and it's in a reflection. I mean, I just, I like when movies do that. Cause again, especially in this movie where the characters don't necessarily know who they are and their memories are so messed up. But at a certain point it is one of those, like, what is, who are they actually looking at? Who is the person in the mirror and who is the real person? So just some interesting shots like that, but yes, I've got questions. Do we want to do this chronologically or do you just have kind of a, a list here? Cause I, I have three major ones. Uh, I, I think I might've covered most of mine and, and maybe we'll get back to them but uh go ahead with your three so my first one is why were the feds suspicious of ben deciding to go to new york city on a, on a train from the get-go like why was rosie there to, to to keep an eye on ben like all it was is he talked to his 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 superiors and they're like hey you need to stop this at that point, I don't even think that had happened yet when he goes to New York. Um, I mean, this is going to be a weak explanation, but when he meets with, and I'll go ahead and get my time caps out of the way, Ted Levine working with Jonathan mm -hmm. Demi again, Buffalo Bill. Um, I, I love the duo of, of Ted Levine and Miguel Ferrer. Rest in peace. <laughs> yes. But from that, the first conversation with them, you can kind of get the vibe that, Marco's been on the conspiracy theory for quite a bit because they seem very fed up with him, even the first time we see him. So the only well, his, thing a, I, his apartment is is also evident of that. <laughs> so. Right, right. Which I backtracking. I love the fact that when this movie opens, he's offering Al Melvin like, hey, do you need some money? He's treating Al Melvin like he's crazy, even though he's going through the same shit. That was mm -hmm. a good reveal when. You know, he checks out to the grocery store and he's just buying ramen, tomatoes, uh, sleeping pills and romance novels, mm -hmm. which which, by the way, romance novels apparently was a deleted scene. He was buying those for his elderly neighbor, but that was cut. Uh. Um, but I love the reveal of like, yeah, no, he is just as, quote unquote, crazy as Al Melvin. And yet he's just he's just doing a better job of, of, of presenting a, a brave face to it. OK. All right. So I can see why maybe, you know, the government is aware of his delusions and maybe somebody in the FBI is like, you know what? This kind of lines up with what we already thought. Let's keep an eye on this guy. So I can explain that in a way. The movie doesn't do it, but I can read between the lines. So we've established that he already is on the conspiracy theory that something was weird, something was off, right? Why is the shower in the New York apartment the first time he noticed that there's something under his skin? 
other than it's a convenient plot point. <laughs> it's just like, that's, that for some reason, that's when it's just like, wait a second here. I'm like, does he not scrub his back? Like, why is this the moment he realized there's something back there? Yeah, no, that's a very good point, too, because that's also a part of getting older. Like, you recognize when shit changes on your body, like pretty, pretty immediately. You're like, hey, what the fuck is this? Like, whether it be a pimple or whatever. So, yeah, that that's a little bit convenient. I, I agree. I have no explanation. And the movie does nothing to explain that. And my last one we already started talking about was why on God's green earth did Eleanor send her son to go and kill the senator? That is the one part of the movie. It's a cool shot with him out in the water and, you know, the, John going like, out. Hey, like, you're going to get wet. What are you doing? Like, yeah, I'm coming in. And it's just and then <laughs> it's just like. Also, at least yeah, John, John Voight dying because he was an expert kayaker. And this would have been fun. Like the woman would have had hands prints on her neck where he strangled her and left her underwater so it's like that would not have been the the news being like oh it looked like she drowned trying to save her father with hands around her neck uh i, I could get over that because ultimately but it's know, a movie hey, about conspiracy theories and them having to cover their tracks and it's like little like loosey-goosey bullshit like that where i'm like this I mean, is weird why would you do this I mean, Brett, listen, if you're worried about the handprints around her neck, again, this is the vice presidential candidate of the United States mm -hmm. in a well-to-do area because a senator is living here. It's his, I think the movie drops a line like it's his weekend home. So presumably he's surrounded by other very wealthy people. And it's, I mean, could... Can you imagine, Brett, pick a vice president, Dick Cheney, Kamala Harris, Mike Pence. You look out your window and they're fucking killing a senator. It's just it's it's just ridiculous, especially when I guess because my thought was like, why not just if you're going to activate the Manchurian candidate to become what this movie calls a common hitman, have him use a sniper rifle and kill him from distance. But I guess you want to make it look like an accident. But again, just the thought of someone that famous killing two people in the middle of a river in front of home fronts. I just, that's well, a bridge too so far. It goes, it goes another step beyond that because that's before we realized that Ben can be activated at the point. We realized that Ben can be activated. Why didn't you call and activate Ben? Like you can't tell me that you wouldn't have been able to do that. And this goes into, okay, I have, I have questions. I'll go figure in this segment. So was Ben or Al always the plan to kill the, the president after he was elected? Because my question is that puts a layer to this movie where I'm like, did Ben and Al, did they legitimately, were they having dreams that was causing an issue or were they being told that there was a conspiracy because they needed them to be crazy so that they could use them as the assassin? Because both, you know, I feel like Al was Al like the, the first one they were going to use because it goes to the point when Ben is trying to call and find out what happened. Everybody else is is dead, right? Except for these two. And I'm like, at a certain point, I started thinking, I'm like, was Al supposed to be the original assassin? And then it wound up being he got too far gone and either they killed him or he did kill himself. And then Ben was the backup plan or like... Like I said, it just started. I'm like, that would actually would have been a little bit more interesting if if we went into that. Like they actually... 
like Manchurian was making them crazy so that they could use them as the assassin. I definitely think that the plan was always to have at least one more sleeper that could mm-hmm. ultimately eliminate the president to allow Shaw to be the president. Um, I'm just the reason I asked that is because Al was in the room because when they were all when, in the room. Well, there's five of them. Ben kills. I forget the one guy. Shaw kills Baker, and then Al was the fifth one in the room. And then the rest of the unit wasn't wasn't being brought in to do that. They were kind of off on their own. Because that was, you know, when Ben's calling, he's finding out what happened to the rest of you. But those five were in the room, and two of them were killed. So that's why I was asking, was Al, like, the first choice? And then Al wound up, like, unraveling a little bit faster than they wanted. But they were all brainwashed, though, because, right, we see them in the other room, like, watching the video, uh, like, the, the poor CGI version of the, the combat. Mm. Um, well, and they all had to be, they all had to be brainwashed so that you could get the story to be accurate. But in terms of the sleepers who was going to assassinate the president, I feel like they were relying on Ben or Al to do that because they were actually in the room with Shaw, Baker, and the other guy to make sure that the the brainwashing was was effective. And again, that's the only reason I bring it up is because they... hmm? Al did not kill anyone, right? No, but he was facing the wall, but Al was in the room. So to me, like... It felt like those three were their primary candidates for what, you know, their their agents for whatever they were going to do. And like I said, did Al wind up unraveling before they had a chance to use him? So they basically had two assassins. Yeah, and you know what? Again, I the movie does not tell us this, but I could see the situation where they they brainwash obviously Shaw to eventually be the president. They brainwash Marco and, and put the implants in him so he can be a respected commander who recommends Shaw for the Congressional Medal of Honor, which will again help him politically later. And then, yeah, I could see where Melvin was supposed to be the guy who's just crazy who ultimately commits the assassination, but the experiment doesn't work quite as well on him. Like he is, he's triggered into his dreams a little bit too much, which causes him Mm -hmm. to go off the rails earlier than they intended. Again, that's just kind of me extrapolating. I don't think the movie tells us that, but that's what would make sense to me. Yeah. So that was it. That was, those are my, my, I have questions. So yeah, not, not too many. And I, I, I think there's not too many loose ends to this movie. So yeah, that makes sense. Couple, couple weird decisions, but yeah, no. The only other thing I'll say: did, did the feds get Delp, or do we think Manchurian Global got him? I assume that the feds are the ones that got him to pack up his shit after Ben told Rosie about him. That or Delp just blew, you know, disappeared into the wind. I don't know what we were. The implication here was, yeah, the fact that all of his stuff was gone too. I felt like he had been basically got. Yeah, I, I had assumed that it was Manchurian, but mm-hmm. um, again, I only like Delp in the sense that it could just be a delusion of Marcos. Right. All righty. You, you want to do some more segments? Let, let's do it. You want to do a little blue book? Absolutely. All righty. Travis, the sticker price of this here flick was an estimated $80 million. How much do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? Uh, number one, I think that that's way too expensive for this movie. 
Mm-hmm. I, I really wonder where that that money went. Um, I'll say sixty three. Not far, sixty seven. I'm sorry, sixty six. About sixty six million. What do you think it did worldwide? I don't. I don't think it would have been very successful, to be honest. Uh, I'll just go with a flat one hundred million, and that's honestly a hopeful number for me. So I'll say a hundred million. You're looking at ninety six. Damn. Yeah. That's. Ugh. Ugh. I think it was a little long. It was a little long. Two hours in a theater is a long time to sit. And I mean, here's the thing: American politics. It's it's not going to have legs globally. So. Mm-hmm. So, that brings us to Tag and Title. So this week I actually have a couple alternative titles before we get into tags. Uh, So in Poland, this movie was just called The Candidate. In Vietnam, I just picked out four ones I found interesting. Uh, Vietnam, it was The Candidate Gets Pulled was the translation portugal was the candidate of truth in japan which typically has one of my favorite alternate titles when they are alternate was crisis of america <laughs> which that is very appropriate considering uh yep. corporations involvement in in politics so I, I i do like that all righty are you ready for some taglines? Everything is under control. And you know I'm not going to give you that one. <laughs> <coughs> so Travis, I'm going to give you three taglines. One is an official tagline to this movie. One is a tagline to a movie I found adjacent. And one is a tagline I made up myself. What I need you to do is tell me what is the official tagline for 2004 as the Manchurian Candidate. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yesterday was about honor. Today is about justice. Thank you for your cooperation. And is anyone seeing the truth? Jesus. Is anyone seeing the truth? I'm going to say... I'm going to go out on a big limb, and I, I think this is a, a big swing that there's no way that I'm right, but I'm going to say that's from all the president's men. Okay. Uh, so that's an adjacent title. Uh, give me the other two, if you don't mind. Yesterday was about honor. Today is about justice. And thank you for your cooperation. What what are you doing there with cooperation? Why why are you saying like, it that way? It's because it's coup. Oh, coup. Like cooperation. Okay. You made that one up. Cause that's okay. just too fucking clever. Um I Which I guess No, that Yesterday you, you, was about you, honor. Yeah, no, you stopped. Today is about justice. That's a terrible tagline, so I have to assume that's a real movie. I've I've shit the bed this week. I, I, <laughs> I've never you, given you a fake movie. Oh, I guess my taglines are fake movies, aren't they? Never mind. 
I take yeah, my you, statement back. You've done a good job. You're like a screwball pitcher this week, Brett. I, I see it coming and I, I can't hit the ball. All right, so you're saying Tell me that the fucking is... answers, Brett. Yeah, tell me the fucking answers is what I'm telling you. So you're right. Thank you for your coup operation was absolutely me because uh, I can't resist a good pun. Yesterday was about honor. Today is about justice. 2007's Shooter. Starring you know, Marky Mark Wahlberg. Can I ask you a question? Uh-huh. Where did you watch this movie? Yeah. No, no, where it's did you It's about an assassination wa- attempt. No, 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 listen to me. What oh. streaming service did you watch this movie on? Are you are you talking about the Manchurian Candidate? Yes. Or Shooter? Oh, Paramount Plus. Yeah, you pick Shooter because that's the recommended movie that comes on after you watch Manchurian <laughs> Candidate. <laughs> I didn't pick that. I swear to God, I didn't know. I thought Shooter was on Netflix. I know that I, Shooter apparently has been doing very well on streaming lately. I watched this movie literally today, Brett, and as soon as credits rolled, the next movie that was going to play in 30 seconds was Shooter. So I thought oh, that... Oh, I've... Wow. Yeah. So good job. Paramount Plus agrees with you then, though. <laughs> Which would mean, is anyone seeing the truth is an alternate tagline for this movie, because of course you already knew what the main one was. Everything is under control. Yeah. Well done. See, you well tried done. to spoil my segment like I spoil yours, but I didn't let you do it. That's why I always copy all of the taglines. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm so pissed Alrighty, off sir. about last week. Do you want to give us a uh, a time capsule here? Uh, well, as I mentioned, it was it was Ted Levine in a very minor role. I don't even think his character and Miguel Ferrer's character have names because uh, in the subtitles they were just man one and man two. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed seeing Ted Levine reunited with Jonathan Demme. Uh, of course, if anybody listening for some reason doesn't know, that's Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I really I really enjoyed him. I, I, I thought those two characters would ultimately do more than they did in this movie. I thought maybe Ted Levine would be kind of like wink, wink, you know, I... You seem crazy, but I want to help you. But in a very bit part, you had Ted fucking Levine crushing it. So that that was my time capsule. All right. Fair. I, Fair. Uh, I guess my other half time capsule and kind of an encapsulation of this movie. I really enjoyed the White Clef Jean cover of Fortunate Son. I think. Oh, it, OK. It, yeah. It, it perfectly describes this movie. Is it better than the original? Not necessarily. Is it worse than the original? Absolutely not. It's just a different spin on something that we love. So mm-hmm. that's that's your bonus time capsule. I really love the way this movie opened with the with the Wyclef Jean. Like that's one of those I can close my eyes and remember being in the theater with that Paramount, the Paramount stars coming down mm-hmm. and that opening guitar riff of, of Fortunate Son. So I, I really enjoyed that. All right. Good deal. Appreciate it. Uh, so do you have a chop shop for us this week? (laughs) 
Uh, as we discuss discuss off air, not no no, I don't. Um, the problem is I I'm, I'm confused as to what we're doing with this segment now. So do or am I spinning the wheel to see? Would you turn this into another genre? Are you? Is there things you would change about it? Like what exactly are we doing here? Well, I I thought if if something jumped out to you that glaringly should be changed to improve the movie, that's kind of the spirit that I I took it in. Um. But this week, I really, I, I find no true flaws that I, I would actually change about the movie. So, no, I don't really have anything that I would chop. Um, and because, I mean, to say trim 15, 20 minutes off of it, I don't really think that's a true chop because I feel like we say that at about 70% of the movies we review. So, yeah. I would say cut Delp, find other ways to give us that exposition. Um, and then I would love to see maybe a little bit more of the camaraderie of the, the lost platoon at the beginning. So that I care a little bit more about those characters. Cause at the end of the day, like all of them dying or what I, I really didn't, I had no investment in any of them. So them dying, unfortunately they were just like pawns on in, in a chess game or something like that. Like it's just, it, it was irrelevant to me what was happening to any of them. And even, you know, when, when Ben winds up killing the the one kid and just shoots him in the head, I'm like, I don't, this doesn't have any impact on me because I honestly don't know who that kid is. Like, I have no idea who, he just, he was another soldier and Ben was brainwashed and they took control of him. So, I don't know. Yeah. I would definitely to, cut some of those out. Well, and to your point too, it would be very easy. Like, the kid that Marco shoots, if you had just had a scene before that where they were out in the field and just just take your pick the kid doesn't know how to use a particular piece of equipment and marco takes him aside and is like no this is how you do it even something as small as that lends a little impact to when he later kills him but to your point or, when sorry go ahead no go ahead was it what would have been interesting is in the beginning ambush, they get ambushed. The kid gets injured. Ben Marco pulls him to safety and is like, you're going to be okay, kid. I'm going to take care of you. Then Marco gets knocked out. And then Marco finds out later he's actually the one who killed him after telling him he was going to keep him safe. That would have had some impact. Oh, my God. That's perfect. And again, that that's what? Two, three minutes of screen time at most? Hmm. And you set that up in a more effective way. So yeah, I you know I know this this segment's a little rusty. We haven't really fine tuned it, but that that's the perfect example of how to effectively use the runtime better. Mm. And then yeah, if you're eliminating the the random sign, because that's the other thing about Delp is how much money does that facility like? What's his budget on running that facility? Well, all those monkeys and yeah. all of their little monkey hats. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's not something you set up in your mom's basement. That's a, a legitimate scientific operation, and we have no idea. And then you have, I get, you know, hey, New York is expensive, but he lives in a, a, a shoe closet of an apartment. Like, why does he have a friend that is conducting million-dollar experiments? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think that's our major qualms with this movie. Uh, there weren't many, but a few minor things that I think kind of would have taken it to the next level. So with that, I think next week we're actually going to do a movie that I've seen before that you haven't seen. I cannot believe you haven't seen this movie. 
I'm very much looking for. I think this is going to be a fun one. I mean, going back to last week, I can't believe you haven't seen fucking Scream, Brett. But yes, I, I have not seen Air Force One. All I know yep, so, is get off of my plane. Yep. So we're uh, we're going to do some classic Harrison Ford with Air Force One. Directed by Wolfgang week? Peterson, who, uh, you know what else he directed, Brett? Uh, um, uh, a wonderful seven layer cake. Some people would go to Das Boot. I would not. I would go to a another movie of this era. Troy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I like Wolfgang Peterson. Um, I like Harrison Ford. Gary Oldman as a villain. I am very excited because we've we've covered on the professional when Gary Oldman decides to be a a, 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 a scenery chewing villain. Good things happen. So I'm excited to, to, to see what uh, it has to offer. Fuck, I didn't realize this movie was 97. I definitely thought it was in, like, in the 2000s. No, I definitely knew it was 90s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> I hope it's as good as I remember. All I know is that I'm looking at a screenshot and William H. H. Macy is holding a machine gun. When have what? you ever seen a movie with William H. Macy holding a machine gun? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was about to start asking questions like, who is he? Is he the vice president? But you know what? I'll watch the movie and I'll find out. Alrighty, sir. Well, uh, any final words for us? No, you know, I didn't think this movie was very quotable. Oh, really? No, I really didn't. Did you? Oh, just usually you have something for us. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, no. I. I I'm trying to think of something. I. I didn't think it was that quotable. So, Brett, you can either Not. shoot me or, or help me. Not now, mother. Yeah, we didn't even talk about the weird incest scene. Oh, apparently it's not even like it's a lot more prevalent in the book. Um, but yeah, no, apparently like yeah, she straight up wants her son. No, I, I think and the I guess, implication in this movie is she definitely fucked her son there at the end when she open yeah. mouth kissed him. But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wonder at if that that's what snapshot. Right? Yeah. Did that snapshot out of it? Like, listen, I'll be a political puppet. But once my you know what? We'll uh -huh. see you next week. We confirmed Anakin was he, he was the God damn it. That's what I get for ad living. We <clears throat> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna take that from the top. Mm -hmm. Race. Who or what would have the power to do such a thing? And more importantly, what motivation could anyone have to brainwash a group of soldiers into thinking they've survived a battle that left two dead? I'm going to have to rework that last sentence because that doesn't make any fucking sense, but we're going to keep going. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I rewrote that a couple times, but you get the gist. Yeah. Yeah, let's not get into let's not get into the incest rape piece. <laughs>